Welcome to the ACC Podcast. We're honored that you took some time out of your day to listen to one of our weekly messages. We hope that these messages bring you closer to Jesus, strengthen your faith, and deepen your understanding about the Bible. If you're thinking of attending ACC, we're currently holding one service at 25% capacity at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. You can visit our website for more information. That's anacortischristian.church. That's A-N-A-C-O-R-T-E-S Christian.church. You can also visit our website if you have any questions about ACC, like our core beliefs, where we are located, or if you'd like to get in contact with us. We would love to hear from you. So, whether you're sitting, driving, or exercising, thanks for tuning in. Let's dive into the Bible together. Let's get into our passage this week. We're rounding another corner in the book of Matthew, going through the Sermon on the Mount. And this week we're in Matthew chapter 7. And this passage is one that is not only very appropriate for our times, I believe, but happens to be every non-Christian's favorite Bible verse of all time. It might be yours too. It starts like this, do not judge. Do not judge or you too will be judged. See, I told you, you know this verse, right? You might be the first time you ever looked at or stepped foot in a church and you know, you've heard this one. Do not judge or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred, holy, set apart above. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What's that last part all about, right? We'll, We'll get there. First, let's pray. Father, this is your word, and uh, so many of these passages have been, I I just feel like it's so appropriate for our time right now, and I just uh, ask that you help us to really hear you today, to really analyze, to look inwardly at ourselves, and and to see a vision for how um, the kingdom of God can be a counterculture a community that unites around what is actually of worth and value and true and can be a beacon, a light in the darkness in our time. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Don't judge me. (laughs) You're judging me. I feel so judged. These are common things that we say. You're not supposed to judge me. I remember going to a a Christian middle school and we had a Bible class. Our teacher was... um, really young, like straight out of class. And so there were these students that kind of harassed him a lot with just obnoxious questions like, is it a sin to do this? Is it a sin to do that? I don't believe that. I don't believe, you know, and he just had a hard, well, I don't know, he might have had a great time, but they tried to make it hard for him uh, because, you know, that school in particular was the place where you had like the sheltered Christian families would send their kids there. And then you had like 
the, the dropouts and kickouts from the public schools would get sent there too. So, so you had quite a mix of kids at this school. And I remember one day they thought they had him. Like they came up to the teacher with, with like Matthew 7, say, see, you're not supposed to judge me. And, and uh, he just kind of like nods. He's like, did you read the whole passage? You know, there's, there's more to it than that. What does Jesus mean? What does he have in mind? Is he simply saying, you cannot judge anyone, period. And a lot of us bank on that because we're afraid of being judged. And so let me just poke a few holes in that, okay? Uh, we just went through a whole chapter, okay? A whole chapter, chapter six. And what did Jesus say? When you give, when you pray, when you fast, do not be like the what? The hypocrites or the pagans. And then what does he do? He talks about their behavior, their motives, etc., etc. How can you obey Jesus without making a critical assessment of what a hypocrite is or what that looks like or how a pagan worships? Um, hmm, you know, you have to make a judgment call about that. But that doesn't feel very good. That doesn't sit very well with us, does it? In 2006, the Pew Research Committee came up with a poll and they, they revealed that the top three words that people associate with Christians today are, one, Christians are judgmental, two, Christians are hypocritical, and three, that we're anti-gay. And those are the top three association, associations. It's probably still the same today. I don't have a newer, updated version of that. And that's, that's painful, right? Because it feels like we're being judged, doesn't it? And it doesn't feel good. And if you're a disciple of Jesus, and you kind of go like, I, I hope I don't come off that way. Maybe I do. I don't know. But, you know, we know how we're supposed to be known. Like, what did Jesus say? They will all know that you're my disciples by your what? By your love, right? We want to be known for our love. And so probably what you have is a loud minority of quote-unquote Christians who stand on the street corners and, you know, they've got their signs and they're yelling at people. Their signs, you know, God hates this or that group of people and whatnot. And, and you know, we're like, yeah, I don't want to be associated with them, and when we see people like that, there's something that goes on inside of us, isn't there? Like if, if that's, you know, if you're not like, amen, bro, you know, there's something that goes on. And what are you doing? <laughs> right? What am I doing when I see those Christians over there? I'm judging them, right? I'm doing the same thing. Like we all do this, okay? We all judge in some ways that are good and in some ways that are not good. And the backlash of being known as judgmental people is that I think that our bigger problem these days is we have this fervent desire not to be seen by people on the outside as, as looking like that. And so what we assume is that do not judge means that we never name sin and we never see a fellow believer living in a way that isn't congruent with her lifestyle and, and speak up, you know, like, um, you know, that we, we have this backlash. And so the main question is kind of like, what is a Christian's responsibility to one another? Like, how are we supposed to react to each other and, and treat each other? So let's break this down a little bit 
when Jesus says, do not judge, well, first of all, what does the word judge mean? How, do you, how are we supposed to think about judge? And, and we're going to get a little bit, um, you're going to have to flex your brain muscles a little bit because it'll help us to see how Jesus sees and, and get out of our English language way of thinking and a little more into a, a Hebrew or Greek way of thinking. So the word judge means krino, okay? A little Greek lesson. Everyone say krino, krino. And literally what it means is to separate, it means to divide. We're going like, huh? <laughs> what do you mean? It means to divide and then distinguish or discriminate between good and evil. And we've talked about doing that the last few weeks, to be able to discern good and evil. Or to discern between what's good and better, or what's better and best. It's to weigh, to divide out weigh and make a decision. Okay, that's what judgment is. It's the ability to make a value assessment based on pulling things apart and evaluating them. Okay, um, I'm going to show you a quick picture because what probably we have in mind here is a picture of a scale, like an old school scale. You've probably seen these, right? There's like two dishes on a pendulum in the middle and they're equally weighted. And it's this picture of, of dividing out and choosing the weightier, more valuable option. And I believe that's what Jesus has in mind when he says, with the measure you use in how you assess and evaluate and ascribe value to someone else, that's what will be measured back to you. Okay, with kind of this picture in mind. Okay, the way you size up another person, the way you divide them out and measure their worth and value is how you can expect to be measured and valued as well. But we do this in a number of different ways, and they're not, they're not all bad, right? How do you make a good decision? You weigh the pros and cons. You split apart, you divide the pros and cons, you weigh them, you make a choice, right? Or think about like a panel of judges at a, an event like the Olympics. Okay, you've got um, the judges and they're dividing up the athlete's performance according to a set of criteria. Did they land in the right spot? Did they hold the right form? Did they, you know, flounder? Did they even do the right thing they said they were going to do? You know, they're, they're giving a score, a judgment, a value based on th what they're measuring, okay? Right? Uh, we're supposed to judge. Right judgment leads to life. Wrong judgment leads to chaos and death. In fact, Genesis 1, what are the terms that Genesis uses for how God created the world and filled it with living things? He starts with formless void and chaos, and then what does he do? He divides things, right? He splits apart the light and the dark, the night and the day. He splits apart the land from the seas. He splits things and turns them into habitable places, and then he fills it with life. And then at the end of it all, he evaluates and he makes a judgment call. He says, this is good. Right? This is good. That happens to be our vision statement as a church, transforming lifeless spaces into life-giving places through Jesus Christ. The act of creation is an act of judgment, of splitting apart, measuring, evaluating, and ascribing worth. And that's what's coming at the end, too. Bookends of the Bible, judgment. And it's good. It's good. And notice the trajectory. Jesus has been asking us to divide and measure 
between two kinds of giving, two kinds of prayer, two kinds of fasting, to divide and evaluate the worth of two kinds of treasures, right? And where your heart is, there your treasure is also. Two ways of seeing Two kinds of masters, God or mammon, and what happens when you're trying to serve both. And then he diagnoses worry and anxiety, and worry literally translates as being divided into pieces over many cares. So when we don't have good judgment, the result is anxiety and worry because we get drawn into pieces over all the different options that we're trying to weigh and evaluate and trying to choose two things at once or two masters at once, you know? And then where does this passage go? It talks about throwing what is of value. When you don't judge rightly, you throw what is value, valuable. When you can't see clearly, you throw what is valuable to the pigs and the dogs who turn around and then what do they do? They tear you, they divide you into pieces, right? They tear you up. It's like wrong judgment leads to the actualization of our worry, our fears which is all rooted in having the wrong treasure, the wrong master, all those things. Is your head spinning yet? Okay, because mine is. Like, this is one that you need to go and think about for a while. You need to read Matthew 6 and 7 and watch this trajectory and really, like, mush it around up here for a bit and chew on it for a while and think about it over a good cup of tea or coffee or something like that. I'll show you another image real quick. This is, from, this is a bronze statue. I'm not sure you might... It might be really famous. I don't, I'm sorry, I don't even know. But it's probably in a, um, a law firm somewhere. And what do you notice? You have this woman, and she's holding the scales, right? And she's holding, what is she holding? She's holding a sword. What does a sword do? It cuts. It divides, right? But there's something wrong with this picture. Like, she has a blindfold on. She can't see. There's something wrong with her eyes, right? and she's holding the judgment scale. Folks, this is us. This is, this is a picture of us making a judgment, trying to divide rightly and determine, but not being able to see, right? And this is what Jesus is talking about here. So who is the true judge? Who can really see? If you're a person who doesn't see clearly and have been wrongfully judging, ascribing worth and value, what kind of a person will you be? You'll be slicing up your reality wrongly. Okay, you'll be dividing according to the wrong measure, choosing what's not of worth instead of what is, and you'll cut up people. You'll cut up people and their value and their worth, and you'll hack them down. So when Jesus used the word, do not judge, I think he has a specific way of talking about judging in mind. In fact, the book of James spells it out a little more clearly. By the way, James, who is believed to have been Jesus' brother, um, in his letter, about three-quarters of it is a direct commentary on the Sermon on the Mount. Okay, it, it all follows the Sermon on the Mount. James 4, 11 and 12 says, Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to, pass, to, to judge your neighbor? 
And so clearly Jesus is saying, like, what's the law? What's the law? The law is summed up in love God and love your neighbor, right? And so there's something about taking a slanderous or a, a, a position of judgment that puts ourselves in a, a place of confidence of being able to see what that other person can't see and being able to basically claim the authority of God who is the only real true judge, okay? What do we do? John Stott says it does not mean to assess people critically, but to judge them harshly. It's a kind of critic who is a fault finder, who is negative and destructive towards other people, and enjoys actively seeking out their failings. He puts the worst possible construction on their motives, pours cold water on their schemes, and is ungenerous towards their mistakes. So what do we do? We see a person and we, we kind of draw a line and we go, oh, that person's got a speck in their eye. We see a, a behavior, a problem. It might actually be sin. It might actually be wrong. And what we do is we look at that and we look across the line and we go, wow, you know, that person, man, they are so messed up. But when we take it a step further and we start to ascribe motives, we start to assume, I know where their heart's at. I know what they're all about. I know what they're trying to do. I know who they really are. I can see clearly. We go beyond what we can see, and we start to make a judgment determination about what they're about. And then what we do is we act like, we think subconsciously, that Jesus, the, the authority, is standing on this side of the line with us, and he's agreeing with us, right? You're like, Jesus, can you believe that? girl, that guy over there. And he's like, I know, you know, like, like I just, I, you know, I tried what I can't get through to them, you know? Um, and, and then, so that's kind of where our head goes. And we all do this. We all do this. Don't believe me? Scenario. You're walking out at uh, Tommy Thompson trail or uh, Washington park trail or something like that. And a group of people around the corner, and none of them are wearing masks. What are you thinking? Or you're driving down the street, and there's like an open field and no one in sight, and there's one dude walking along with a mask on. What are you thinking? Oh. I know that person. I know where they're at politically. I know, you know, man, how, how deranged, how delusional, you know. Regardless of which side of the issue you're on, you're looking at everyone's forming a judgment call, right? Especially po politics, right? Democrats are, Republicans are, but I can't say anything political up here. I mean, I, I don't want to, for starters. I'll speak to the issues if I can um, as they relate to Scripture, but as, if I say anything, if I just name a fact of something that Donald Trump did, positive or negative, you're going to judge me, okay? Uh, because I would, okay? You're going to be like, oh, he supports Donald Trump. No, I just named something that happened, you know? Oh, he, I know where he's, he's against um, all that is good in our country and whatever, you know, like, like we do this, 
Okay, we do this constantly, right? We go way beyond what's on the surface and we instantly ascribe motives. We make determinations about people's thoughts, values, where they're rooting their lives, you know, all these things. So let's break down this metaphor a little bit because I think Jesus wants us to start by making some assumptions. Anytime we find ourselves in this position where we're tempted to judge wrongly, um, he's like, hey, Start with some assumptions here. So, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? First of all, is there anyone in this picture who doesn't have something in their eye? No. Assume that everyone has something in their eye. Okay? Does Jesus ever say, Don't point out the speck in their eye because there's really nothing to see here. No, he doesn't say that. In fact, he ends with removing it. Like it needs to be removed. It is a legitimate thing. It's not good. It's there. But does he ever say like, you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to think about that. No. Everyone has something in their eye. He never says specks aren't important or that you should ignore it. It is a problem, and in God's kingdom, sin is no small thing, and we are to be a part of a community that is moving towards repentance and the removal of sin in our lives, debris in our eyes. But what's our part? What's our method supposed to be? What's our motivation? So that was number one, assume that everyone has something in their eye. Two, Assume that you don't see clearly. Just start by assuming you don't see clearly. What do I need to see that someone else has a speck in their eye? I need my eye. Where's the plank? It's in my eye, right? It's kind of a comical metaphor because it's like this thing's bigger than your head and you're shoving it in your eye. Um, My kids could probably draw some interesting comics about this one. Um, Little illustration, years ago, I think like seven years ago, we got called upon all of a sudden to be judges. Mark Bryant, Aaron Bryant, and myself. Because we had a ministry of seniors, senior saints, and they decided to have a pie-baking contest. Not a pie-eating contest, that would have been interesting. Um, A pie-baking contest, they had like a cook-off, And so they all showed up to church one Sunday with pies. And they asked us to be the judges, and this was great. Now what did we do? We took the pies and we separated them out, we divided them, and we measured them according to a set of criteria, presentation, how well it was cooked, did it look good, did it taste good, Uh, right? Now what we didn't know was that one of our seniors had forgotten about pie cook-off day, and in a flash of panic, ran to Costco and bought an apple pie <laughs> and brought it to church, okay? And, and now, I, all the pies were great, okay? But these guys, they probably have a machine making their pie or like somebody who does it four hours a day at least, you know? It looks good, it tasted good, it passed all the criteria, and we were ranking this pie as number one <laughs> on the list. And I think, I can't remember, I think it was this lady right here. Don't point the cameras. Um, 
who like saw what was about to happen and walked in and was like, nope, not that one, and like walked away with the pie. We thought we saw clearly to make the right judgment, value determination about which pie should win the contest, right? But one bit of information changed. One thing caused us to see completely differently in order to actually make the right value assessment, the right judgment call. Interesting, right? So when I see a brother or sister acting in a way that isn't right, I can see there is a problem. I can assess what's on the surface, but do I really see the whole picture? Do I really see the story, what's underneath, what's actually going on behind the surface? That is not to excuse sin or to pretend that there isn't a speck, but before I pass judgment, I need to assume that I don't see the whole picture clearly. Okay, like a plank, a beam, the word there, it's like a support structure. Okay, chances are I've built up a whole way of seeing around this thing that I don't even know is in my eye. I'm filtering my reality through a wrong way of seeing. And I may not, most of the time we are not at all aware that we're even doing it. So assume that. Jesus says just assume that. Third, assume that you have an even bigger issue than the one that you're pointing out in someone else. Okay, just start there. Start by assuming that you have an even bigger issue than the one you see in your neighbor. Do they have a speck? Sure, yeah. But Jesus is asking us to assume that your own sin, your own pride, and your own issues are more serious and more grievous than your neighbor's. Why? Because everyone has stuff. And what we see is really probably just the tip of the iceberg. But that means that what I don't see is probably true of myself, that there's something much bigger in my own life than what I see in theirs. We have this tendency to be totally unaware of ourselves and our own motives. And what we want to do is we want to feel better about ourselves. So we exonerate ourselves and we ignore all our own problems. And we start pointing out the downfall of other people because it makes us feel better about ourselves. Makes us feel like we know some things, like we're a little more virtuous. So that's our natural instinct. We are arrogant towards others and ignorant towards ourselves. And the goal in this assumption though, the end goal is not self-loathing, okay? But to move us towards honest, self-assessment so that we can find the clarity we need through repentance. What's repentance? I mean, you could, you could say taking the log out, taking the speck out of our eyes is repentance, right? So that we can see clearly. And this is the heart of the gospel. It is the gospel that changes us. It is the gospel's power in us that turns us into people who can see clearly, but only having gone through repentance. So the question is, are you willing to hear Jesus here? Are you willing to believe him? Are we honest enough to truly evaluate ourselves? And I, can I actually assume, this is harder than it sounds, that when I see something in someone else, there's probably something in me that's even bigger. Am I willing to go there? Do you believe him? 
He says, you hypocrite. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is a masked performer. It's someone who can see out, but put something in front of their own face so no one can see in. It's a masked performer. You hypocrite. And in doing this, I think Jesus has totally set his audience up in a trap. Because what has he been saying in the last chapter? Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites and the pagans. They do it this way. They do it this way. And he even defines their motives. He even defines, he talks about their reward, what they're going to get. He says, don't be like that. Don't be like the hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrites. You hypocrite. Why? Because he probably knows where our heads are going, right? Oh, yeah, those hypocrites. Oh, yeah, thank you, Lord, that I'm not like those hypocrites, right? Let's talk about specks and logs. You hypocrite, <laughs> you know? You can't escape this. Everyone does it. It's our natural instinct to raise ourselves up and be completely blind to the chunks of debris in our eyes because to be able to make that assessment, we have to claim something about ourselves, okay? That we are the ones who truly see clearly. I'm the one holding the scales without the blindfold, okay? We are the ultimate judges then. We speak with the authority of God. We are different, set apart, a cut above, which by the way is the definition of holy. Okay, holier than thou, right? You're gonna see where I'm going with this in a second. And Jesus says that when we do that, we're hypocrites. But think about this. For him to actually make that assessment about us, what is he doing? He's doing the same thing, isn't he? He's making a judgment call about us. So what then is he claiming about himself? What is he claiming to be? That he is the one who can see that he is holy. He says it in John 8, 15 this way. You judge by human standards, by the flesh. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. Jesus is claiming that he is set apart, that he does see what the Father reveals, and he speaks with God's authority, which means that he is either insane, a megalomaniacal narcissist, or he actually is who he says he is. He actually is the true judge, and there is no middle ground. There is no in-between. But if he's the one with authority to measure and judge the way he claims to, then that means that he is set apart, that he is cut above, that he is sacred and holy. And what he's going to do is he's going to totally draw us out and prove what he claims about us. How? Well, what does he say about what's holy? He says, do not give dogs what is holy, what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls, your treasure to pigs, what is of value to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. You know, in this time, dogs were not cute little pets. Dogs were filthy scavengers. 
And pigs were unclean animals that would devour just about anything, including each other. And what's interesting is that the Jews and the Romans in this time loved to call each other dogs and pigs. This was the Jew and the Roman value assessment, judgment call about each other. They called each other dogs and pigs. That was the measure they gave to one another. Jesus Christ was turned over, betrayed by his very own, to be crucified at the hands of Jews and Romans. He proved what he has called us to assume when we threw the holy sacred one to the dogs and the pigs in our good judgment. Is it making sense? Are you hearing me? Is this this clicking with you? He's the holy one. He's the pearl. He died willingly for you so that you would see. He exposed this assumption to be true about us when he allowed us to do exactly what he said we would do. He revealed our flawed judgment so that you would see, so that it would be revealed. And he was raised from the dead on the third day, vindicated for your justification. And Matthew 25, 31 through 33 says that he will come in all his glory to judge, to separate, to divide the sheep from the goats. And so there's really only two options. There's only two kinds of possible communities. And the question is, which one is going to define the church? In this day of judgmentalism and division right now, what is the church going to choose to look like? And there's two options, measuring and cutting each other down, throwing what is valuable to pigs and dogs, or mutually stirring one another towards repentance and the gospel. How does Jesus respond to the hypocrites? What does Jesus not do to me, a sinner? He doesn't do what I would do to others and what I would expect others to do to me. He doesn't do what we did to him. He doesn't condemn. He loves. He gave his life and death and resurrection for us. So Romans 2 puts it this way. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. How do we know that? Jesus exposed it. He proved it because we did it, okay? So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? How in the world are we ever going to get rid of all these specks and planks? It's his kindness that does it. His kindness to you that does it. It's a change of heart. The gospel is, I am probably a much bigger, worse sinner than I ever dared imagine, and I am much more loved 
than I ever dared to hope for. It's Tim Keller quote. He doesn't condemn, he loves, he gave his life for us. The community of people of God's kingdom is defined by stirring one another towards repentance as a response to his kindness towards you, demonstrated on the cross. So, husbands and wives, when you criticize, do you automatically assume motives? Do you assume that you can see? Are you arrogant towards your spouse and ignorant about yourself? Parents and kids, when you get angry or when the kids are fighting or that same mess shows up in the same place yet again, do you assume to know what's going on inside? Do you claim to see? Do you stand on the other side of the line as one superior or do you stand with them on the same side of the line moving towards repentance? Republicans and Democrats, family, friends, social media. How do we deal with the stuff in our eyes? So assume first that everyone has stuff, everyone has a speck, debris, a plank. Assume that you don't see clearly and assume that you probably have an even bigger sin in your own life. Two, receive the gift of God's kindness, his unmerited grace and favor towards you. And three, let that kindness soften our hearts towards repentance and ask God to help you remove the plank in your own eye. And then four, just as we need God's help in this matter, we need to be humble enough to ask people to help us in this area. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. It's not me and Jesus, and here's a line, and you're over here. But Jesus is over here, and we've all got specks and junk, and because of his kindness, I don't have to put on a face, a mask anymore. I don't need a wall. I can clearly say to my brother or sister, look, I probably don't see clearly, and, and I don't know if you do or what, but maybe you can see if there's something in here and we can do that for each other and not be ashamed, knowing that we don't have to be ashamed of the junk in our lives. We can name it and then we can work on pulling it out and we can work on responding to Jesus and moving towards him together in repentance. That's very different than standing on the other side of the line and saying, I, I see you, I know you. If you do have any Christian relate, if you, excuse me, if you do not, if you do not have any Christian relationships in your life where you have freedom and permission and the ability, the comfort to be able to call each other out and name those things in your lives, then you do not have any Christian relationships in your life. If you have no one in your life that can call out your junk, you have no Christian relationships in your life. This is not the kingdom of God. And how we do that is messy, it's painful, it gets ugly sometimes and it doesn't always go the way we would hope and pray. It takes serious gut checks and heart surgery. 
But we have to accept the truth of our own hypocrisy and surrender. As we come to the table now, when we take this bread and this cup in a little bit, we are participating. Paul says this is a participation in his body and blood. And so what we're doing is we're actually making a declaration. By doing this, we're saying, I need this. I need this. I have a huge beam in my eye and in my life. My life is so shot through with sin that I need someone else's life to count for mine in place of it. If you've never acknowledged that, if you've never come to grips with that, you have no business doing this right now. Furthermore, as Tim Mackey puts it, that reality of grace removes my right to ever put myself in a position of superiority over someone else and assume that Jesus is on my side doing the same thing. I surrender my right to assume that I am superior to anyone else when we do this. But what happens to a community that announces and declares this together? We become a community defined by the freedom to remove our own planks and even stir one another towards repentance as well so that through the freedom of grace and the gospel, we start to actually see clearly. We gain wisdom. We can judge rightly, as Jesus said. We can have conversations that are hard, however messy it is, but in that freedom, we can acknowledge that as neighbors, we need each other. We need each other to help remove the planks and the specks from our eyes. So when we come to this table right now, we are advertising our need for Jesus or surrendering, if you're ready to do that. What is God challenging you to do with this right now? What heart work does he need to do in your own life? Who perhaps you need to apologize to and acknowledge that, you know, I've been on the wrong side of the line. Maybe there is someone you need to talk to. I don't know. So pray. Pray and ask God to reveal, what do you want me to do with this as we make this acknowledgement right now? I'll pray and then we'll take the emblems together. Father, we pray for your spirit to be over this right now. And especially now, the church has a test before us, an opportunity. Are we going to cave in to the divisiveness and the censorship of social media who just puts a big piece of tape across each other's mouths and labels one another? Are we going to be like our culture right now? Are we going to throw stones across the lines and puff ourselves up as the true authoritarian holy judges? Or, or, or will we actually believe what you say? What you have called us to assume and receive that and be a new kind of community that isn't afraid of our junk and is able to confess and to help each other and to unite behind what is true, what is real, the Holy One, the true judge who will bring right judgment to our world. God, we want to be where you are, and so we want to listen to you now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We want to thank you again for joining us today and let you know that we love you and Jesus loves you. And you always have a place here at ACC. 
If you made a decision for Christ today, or you just want to talk with someone, please don't hesitate to reach out. We have a really easy contact form you can fill out on our website, or you can call us at 360-293-3729. We would love to talk with you. Go in peace and have a wonderful week. We'll talk to you soon.